Well, you know, God, every once in a while, he's kind of messy. I was, I was really moved by the last song, and God's spirit was moving. And all of a sudden, I looked down, and there's like snot like all over my shirt. So I think it's dried up since then. Uh, if you're here for the first time, sorry, you probably didn't want to hear that, but at the jar, sometimes God moves that way. So. Hey, tonight we're real excited. We're having our uh, worship night. And so uh, at 7 o'clock upstairs, it'll be an intimate kind of way to connect with God. There'll be a lot of music and uh, time to uh, pray and connect. And so at uh, 7 o'clock, if you can put that on your calendar, um, that'll be good and uh, to come this evening. Well, all of us at one time or another have done some things that we wish we hadn't have done. We failed in some way. A couple of years ago, we had a new neighbor move in uh, right beside us, and they didn't buy the house. They were just renting the house. And I tried to be neighborly to him, and so every time I'd drive by, I'd wave or, you know, try to, you know, build some kind of connection, and just nothing. Just never waved, uh, wasn't very happy, just, you know, kind of that kind of deal. Well, I kept doing this, but nothing really changed. And one day I was pulling out of my driveway, and it was in the fall, and all the leaves had come down in his yard. He hadn't really done his yard, you know, during the whole fall, but waited till all the leaves pretty much came down. Um, and I noticed he was out there raking, and he had this big tarp, and he was raking all these leaves on this tarp. And I drove by, and I waved at him, and he just kind of looked at me and then kept raking. So I don't know what that meant, but he never quite, uh, we never built much of a connection. Well, later that afternoon, I pulled back, uh, or I came back to the house, and I pulled up uh, on the cul-de-sac where we lived, and the entire yard that he had been raking was totally clean of leaves. And it looked awesome. It looked wonderful. I'm like, man, he, he put a lot of work into that. And I drove by, and I noticed, though, that there were no bags of leaves that were out in front of uh, his, his driveway. So I didn't think much about it, and I pulled up to our driveway. I went into the house, and I sat down at our kitchen table, and our kitchen table has a, a big bay window that looks out to our backyard, and then uh, we have a little wooded area that's just behind us too. And I looked out there, and this is what I saw. <laughs> now, I am not a very smart man, but something told me. This guy had taken those leaves, and he had put them in my yard. And I was ticked. I had had it. I was ready to go off on this guy. And I'm just getting about ready to walk out the door. And Jen comes down. She's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm mad. Neighbor put all these leaves. And she kind of calmed me down. She's like, okay. She's like, what's the second great commandment again? Love thy neighbor. I'm like, did you hear the third one? Hang thy neighbor. You know? <laughs> So she's like, you know, you should just let this go. You know, they're new. All right. So I pay somebody money. 
Because I can't put this anywhere. I pay some guy some money to take this and to remove it, and I think everything's fine. Well, a couple weeks later, all of his leaves had not fallen from his trees. And I was gone, and I came back, and again, his yard was all cleaned up. And I go to the kitchen, and I look out the back window again, and I look out there, and it wasn't quite that big, but there were all of these leaves in the backyard a second time. And I'm like, that's it. I mean, this guy, I think I can take him. I'm going to choke him out in the name of Jesus, you know? And again, I'm, I'm about ready to leave. And Jen goes, love thy neighbor. And I thought, I love that woman, but she's nuts, you know? <laughs> like, she is gone. And so that neighbor, he finally moved. And I was like, thank God, you know, no one's going to put leaves in our backyard, in our little wooded area again. And the next fall came. And I pulled up to the driveway, and I walk into our house. I go to our kitchen table. I look out our big bay window. It's like a real serene kind of place. I look out there, and there is another neighbor. Because our, like, uh, lot is surrounded by other houses, and there is another neighbor, and he's the new neighbor, and he is putting leaves again in our backyard. And Jen's not around. So I run as fast as I can down to that new neighbor. And he comes out to the front. And I go, hey, you're putting your leaves in my property. I own that woods. You need to get rid of those leaves from my property. And the guy, like, apologizes, like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. And I'm, like, all red in the face, I'm sure. You know, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, whatever. You know, and I, like, walked up. And I'm thinking to myself, that was not the highest moment of me being a neighbor, you know? I mean, this is pastor boy coming, you know, and, and, and I wasn't loving anything. And I started thinking about that, and it took a lot of candy and treats for us to take to that neighbor before it finally kind of meshed back together, and now we're good. And he didn't put his leaves in my yard anymore either. Well, folks, on that day, my anger and my rage took over the best of me. I shouldn't have never acted like that to him. But quite honestly, there are so many other times that I have done things so much worse than that. And I'm sure that's true for some of you. All of us, if we're really honest, we've done things, we've said things that we wish we hadn't. And for so many of us, it's really difficult for us to get past our own past. Like not something else in the past, but our own past. We may know that God has forgiven us, other people may have forgiven us, but we just can't forgive ourselves. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but I can promise you this, that there are people in this gym this morning that feel a real sense of heaviness 
for some sexual sin from their past. You did something one time that you thought was right and fun, but later on you're carrying this baggage and there's this weight and there's this guilt that you take with you all the time. For others of you, maybe it hadn't been a real long time. Maybe it's been more present, like just a few months or a few weeks or a few days. You hooked up with someone, you did something that you wish you hadn't, and you're thinking, ah, why, why did I do that? For some of you, it's a reoccurring sin. It's something that you keep doing over and over again, and you finally go to God and you're like, God, would you please forgive me? And of course God forgives you. And then you say this, God, I'll never do this again. And then two weeks go by or three weeks go by or four weeks go by and you fall right back into the same thing again. And you feel like you're just carrying this weight from your past. I just can't shake it off. For others of you, you said something to someone that you love. And you said it. And it hurt them badly and it's fractured the relationship. And this is the thing. You can't unsay it now. And it's hurting that relationship. For others of you, you made some decisions, some really bad decisions in your past. And now all of a sudden, they're catching up to you. Maybe they've already caught up to you or you're just fearful and scared that something's going to come up about what you did in your past. And you don't know what you would do. I know a lot of people, unfortunately, that have strayed from their marriage. And they did something that really betrayed their spouse. And the spouse, actually, is a person who's connected to Christ. And so they've already forgiven them. And your kids have forgiven you. And God has forgiven you. But you haven't forgiven yourself. There's this aching, there's this sense of like, I'm a total failure, and you just can't seem to get over it. I know a lot of people today who have gone through the pain of divorce, and you might be sitting there going, man, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have prayed more. I wish I would have fought for that marriage more. And yet, you're just here in this place. Still others of you, you have grown children. And you look at your children and you're like, ah, man, if I would have just parented better, maybe things would have been different and they would be different. And so many people, like David, the greatest king in the Old Testament and was considered a man after God's own heart, many of you, like David today, you might be sitting there and this is your feelings, these are your thoughts He says this, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My guilt has overwhelmed me. It's overwhelmed me so much that it's just too difficult to bear. Folks, for some of you, your past has been continuing to follow you. And today, this is what you need to do. You need to tell your past, you're done. You're over. You're finished. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are no longer going to control my future. 
Now here's something that I want all of you to remember today, and it's this. Every saint of God, every person that God has used in amazing ways, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Folks, God can give you the power to overcome anything that is from your past. But some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, Ah, great, I've heard this 20 million times in church. Just ask for forgiveness, God will give it to you, go forward. But you're like, how do I do that? Because you might think it, but do you live it out? So today I want to talk to you about how do I move past my personal failures. How do you move past your personal failures? Here's the first thing. Remind yourself that your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. This is your first fill-in. You can do it on your app if you want. But remind yourself that your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Now, this is something that I have noticed in over 20 years, is that most people who are trying to connect with God they don't remind themselves of this very much. You know what they do? They rehearse their past sin. My family today is going to Mary Poppins. And if you go to Mary Poppins, they don't just put on the performance one time, like everybody, hey, everybody that wants to be a Mary Poppins, show up, we're going to do this. What do they do? They rehearse. And they rehearse over and over and over again. And this is what happens to many people. They take the sin from their past and they rehearse it over and over and over and over again. And instead of turning to grace, they turn to guilt and the guilt consumes their lives. And hear me very clearly this morning that guilt is not from God. Guilt is not from God. It never has been. He has never desired for people to go through their entire life being overridden by guilt. Guilt, on the other hand, it's a tactic of the evil one. Satan longs for you to feel guilty about all kinds of things, for you to actually swim in an ocean of guilt. Not swim, just barely tread water. Because he knows this, that if you let your guilt consume you enough, it will paralyze you, it will cripple you, eventually it will freeze you in your path. And we start to think, well, I'm never going to get over this failure. I'm never going to overcome it. I'm never going to be able to conquer this. So why even try? Let me just stop. You know, the other thing that guilt does, too, is that it breeds self-hatred. Once you feel guilty about something long enough, you start internalizing it, and you start having self-hatred for yourself, and you look in the mirror, and all of a sudden... You just don't want to look in the mirror anymore because you think, that person's a failure. But the Bible talks about something very different than guilt. Guilt's on one side. That's the tool that the evil one uses. The Bible talks about something very different. It's called conviction. Conviction from the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit comes to you and says, hey, I don't want you to stay stuck there for the rest of your life. But here's an area that if you would just give up control and say, God, I can't do this on my own, then he could take you from that point and take you somewhere greater. It's a beautiful thing, 
when conviction comes into your life. Why? Because it changes our lives. 1 John 1, 9 says this. Let's read this out loud together. Everybody off the side screen. Let's read it out loud. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If we confess our sins, if we're just honest with God, and we're like, hey, God, this is what's on my heart, he says, I already knew that. He's like, all morning you've been beating yourself up, feeling guilty about whatever it is. Let's have a better afternoon. Or other people, they'll, they'll beat themselves up with their guilt all day long. And finally they come to God and God's like, we'll do better tomorrow. It'll be better tomorrow. I think it's kind of like trying to teach a little baby how to walk. When you're first teaching your child how to walk. Now, two things are true about babies. At least my two babies. They had big heads and big rear ends. <laughs> big heads, bigger. Now, see, I would never use this illustration once they're teenagers because this would not go well. But they did. And Shiloh, for instance, she, had, she was in the 120th percentile of head, like a big head. It's my dad's fault because he has a big head. <clears throat> oh, some of you are like, oh, his poor dad. He'll get over it. I went through pain for years, these little illustrations that are used on me. Payback time, you know. So this is what we would do with our kids. We, we would put our two fingers out like this. And they would grab onto our fingers, and, you know, you'd kind of help them walk, and they'd start taking some steps. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but, you know, like, I wanted my kids to walk early, so I'm like, hey, you're going you're gonna to do well at this kid. So all of a sudden, I'd hold it like this, and then all of a sudden, like that. And Jordan did pretty good, but Shiloh, once that came, her head was so big, just bam, you know, <laughs> just straight down. Now, it was on a carpeted place, you know, like, you know, that kind of thing. And... They fell down. Now, when she fell down, now, if a child falls down and you're trying to teach him how to walk, you don't go to that child at that point and go, you stupid child, you should be walking by now. A good father never would do that. A good mother would never do that. And you know what's true? Your heavenly father doesn't do that either. He reaches out. We start to walk. We fall. He goes, I know you fell. Get up. Dust yourself off. Let's go three times, three steps this time. Or four steps. Or, hey, let's try tomorrow. Let's do five steps. But he says, eventually, if you stay close to me, if you stay connected to me, I'm going to teach you how to run away from the past and into the glorious future that I have for your life. And he says, I will be with you. I will be for you. And you know what that's called, folks? It's a word called grace. Hebrews ten seventeen says this. Let's read this out loud together. I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Anybody know what this is? Yeah, my father-in-law thought it was an iPad. I love my father-in-law. 
But I was never really good with the Etch-a-Sketch very much. And uh, the only thing I could kind of do is like a stair step, you know, like stare up and down. That, that's kind of it. And I tried, and I'd work really hard. And some people are really good at it. Like they can create all kinds of stuff. They can create, you know, designs and pictures and put their name on it, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. I just was never very good at that. But what was so great about this toy is that if you messed up on your design or your picture, all you had to do was what? You shake it. And what happens? It erases it, and it's a clean slate. You have something brand new. Well, that's what God does with your sin, your past sin. It comes on this board, and then he's like, uh-uh, you came to me? But some of you don't believe it. I was thinking about if you put my past sin on an Etch-a-Sketch, what would it look like? Well, in my past, I had a huge issue with anger. Uh, part of my past, there's been rage. Get even beyond that. Part of my past, I would lie because I wanted to look better than what I actually did or I wanted to get out of something, so I'd lie about it. Hurt. I've hurt a lot of people, people that, you know, I love, that I care for, and I've hurt them. Bitterness. Just held on to things way too long of someone who offended me, and I had this bitterness in my heart. And then sexual sin. The reality is those things could be on there for the rest of my life. But when I came into a relationship with God and I said, God, I don't want this guilt to consume me. I want these gone. He just shook it and it's totally clean. Now this is my question for you. What's on your Etch-a-Sketch? What's on your personal Etch-a-Sketch? Betrayal? Maybe you were a liar, unfaithfulness, stealing, abortion, addiction. The Bible says this, that God is faithful and just to forgive all of your sins and will wipe the slate clean. But this is the cool thing about God. Like, that would be enough, right? Right? But God's like, no, 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 that's not enough. I'm going to do something even more. Jeremiah 31, 34 says this. I will forgive all of their evil ways, and let's say this bolded uh, statement together, and remember their sins no more. Because if he just went like this, that's good, like that's great, that's enough. But he's like, no, 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 no. I'll actually not remember these sins anymore. Did you know God has amnesia You all believe, if you're a follower of Christ, you believe in a God who has amnesia. What's amnesia? It's the total loss of memory. You can't remember what has happened. And so when you say, I'm sorry for this thing in my life, and you repent, you say, God, I want to change this in my life. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, his blood covers our sin. And the scripture says that God remembers your sin No more. He has amnesia when it comes to your passing. Now, this is my question for you. Many of you don't have amnesia when it comes to your passing. But if God has already forgotten 
the past sin, because you confessed it, why do you keep dredging it up? Why do you keep going to your etch-a-sketch and going, oh, no, 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 I've got to put it back on there. It's been too long. I've got to put it back on there. He says, no. Not only do I clean it, but I don't even remember it anymore. And if God has let it gone, then you need to let it go. So, you remind yourself that your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. And secondly, remember, you are not what you have done. You are who God says you are. You are not what you have done. You are who God says you are. Folks, when you do not confess sin to God over time, what happens is, is it's unresolved guilt consumes your life. That's why I try never to have 24 hours because I mess up so much in 24 hours that I need His grace in that moment because if not, it starts weighing me down. And you know what unresolved guilt is, right? It tends to morph into its sinister cousin called shame. And when shame gets a hold of your life, folks, all of a sudden you lose your identity and you look very different. Lewis Mead said this. He said, The difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he or she did something wrong. A person feels shame because he or she is something wrong. You see how shame can like totally mess with your identity? In fact, shame is Satan's greatest tool in his toolbox. Because I have a feeling many of you have heard some of his whispers before and you thought they were gods, but they weren't gods. And Satan will whisper things like this. You're a failure. You're a loser. You did that? God could never love you. You're ugly. You're fat. You're skinny. You're stupid. You're drunk. You're an addict. You're a pervert. You're slow. You're unlovable. You're alone, and you're always going to stay alone. Just face it. That's who you are. And folks, shame is a very dangerous enemy to every single one of us. But you need to know something, that shame has a dangerous enemy too. And you know who shame's dangerous enemy is? Grace. Shame says I'm defective. Grace says I'm valuable. Shame says I'm flawed. I'm unacceptable. Grace says that even though I'm flawed, I'm priceless. Shame says that the opinion of other people is what matters. Grace says that the opinion of God is the only thing that matters. Shame claims that I must become perfect to earn the approval of others. Grace says, I'm accepted regardless of my imperfection. Shame tries to make me hide. Grace sets me free. Shame keeps me in my old past. Grace leads me into a brand new future. And this is the question for you today. Which one are you going to choose? Because for some of you, you've been choosing shame. And God's saying, would you just take my free grace? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Anyone, what's the very first word again? So anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? 
a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has become. Folks, if you are in Christ, the old is done, it's gone. The power of sin that held you back and held you down, it can be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. All of the past has been washed away and the newness of life in Christ is present for the taking because you are not what you have done. You are who God says you are. You're not a failure, but you failed. Because failure is an event, never a person. Failure is always an event in our life, but it does not define us. When we first started the JAR, we met in homes. And as we met in homes, uh, we finally grew to be too big for any one home. And so we met at multiple homes, and finally we decided, hey, we need to find a place where we can all meet that's large enough. And so we uh, started meeting upstairs where the children meet now uh, here at the YMCA. And we had about 25 people or so. And after a year, we had about 25, and we moved here. And within a matter of two months, we went from 25 to 8. And it was the most discouraging moment that I've had as a pastor. I felt like a failure. The numbers showed I was a failure. And then one day, all the pain and the hurt that I was experiencing went into anger and rage. My wife Jennifer was taking a shower. We were getting ready to head to the church's Valentine's Day dinner. The first one as a church. There were four other couples and Jen and I. And she said something, and I got so angry. I, I went into the, to the bathroom, and I pulled down the shower curtain, and I took my fist, and I put it through a wall, and I started yelling and screaming. And I'll never forget that look on Jen's face of just total fear. And all of a sudden, the sense of failure and shame, it just hit me like, and you call yourself a pastor? You think you're a man of God? But this is one thing you should know about pastors. That even when everything in your life and your relational world isn't always going real well, you still have to show up for events. And so the Valentine's Day dinner, they were all waiting on us. They were all ready for us. And I'll never forget the shame that I felt when my right hand was underneath the table the entire time, swollen up, eating with my left hand, and feeling like such a failure, trying to celebrate Valentine's Day with my bride, who I had just scared like no other time in our marriage. And then after that, we had to go to the hospital, and she's a physician, and she said, you know, if it's broken, they're all going to know you have a 
a boxer break. They're going to know that exactly what you did. And now all the shame is even greater on me because now my wife has to deal with it. And thank God that it wasn't that break and we were able to move on. But after that time, I felt like such a failure. And Jennifer was very quick to give me grace and forgive me and say, we're moving on, Chris. We're moving on. But I just couldn't. I was like, how could someone starting a church, how could someone who felt like they were a man of God, how could someone do something like that? So I started some Christian counseling. I started working on some anger management stuff. And six weeks later, as a church, we took almost all the money that we had at that point, and we rented out a movie theater. They were showing the movie The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. 270 seats. They were all filled. People came for free. We had a talkback session at the Children's Museum. Children were able to play. We had that talk. And six months after that, we launched this thing called The Jar. Now, this is what I want you to get. God took one of the greatest moments of failure in my life and he turned it upside down and he did a brand new thing. In fact, you're here today. The reason you're here today is because an angry, disappointed, rage-filled, depressed pastor took his failure and gave it to God and God did something outside of this messed up guy's life to turn it around to make something new and glorious for the glory of God. Folks, you are not what you have done. You are who God says you are. And this is what God says you are. You are the most treasured child of the Most High God. The most treasured child of the Most High God. That's who you are. Last thought. How can I move from my past personal failure? How can I move past it? It's this. You recognize you can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. You can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. Let's start, first of all, just for a minute with your past. After Jennifer and I got married, we were newlyweds, I joined a recreational softball team. We're a pretty good team. And whenever I would start batting and using the aluminum bat, something just didn't feel right whenever I'd swing. I didn't like having my wedding ring on my finger when I'd swing a bat. And so I came up as a 23-year-old with this brilliant idea. I would take my ring off and I would put it on my baseball glove where there was this little leather loop and I would tie it up right there and I would keep it on that glove. Now you know where this is going, right? So we have this game. I played really well. I'm feeling real cocky. I'm walking out with my strut to my car and I look down at my glove And there is no wedding ring. And so being the godly man that I am, I thought to myself, I need to be honest to Jen. I need to tell her, you know, straight up what's going on. And I walked into that house, 
and I didn't say a word. <laughs> I put my other hand over that ring finger so she would not see it, and that next day I went to Super Rent and I got me a metal detector. And for 10 hours in 90-degree weather, I was using this metal detector to find this ring. And that's how much I love this woman. 90-degree weather, you know, with this metal detector. And not only in the field that we played in, but I retraced my tracks. I mean, I did the entire sports complex trying to find this ring. I even initiated uh, some, uh, you know, help. And I got a buddy of mine that came. He said, I've got a metal detector. I was like, bring it, you know. And for the last two hours, he's bringing it. We're looking everywhere. And we found some stuff. I mean, we found coins. And we found jewelry. And we even found a ring. It just wasn't my ring. (laughs) And finally, I'll never forget my buddy who was helping me. He looked at me and he said, dude, the ring is gone. It's never coming back. You can't change it. And folks, today, some of you have lost a marriage. It was your dream to have a good marriage. And you're in agony today because this is the truth, folks. You can't change the past. As a child, someone took advantage of you. Someone did something to you that they shouldn't have done. The worst of worst things. No one should have ever gone through that. But you can't change what happened to you. You were young, and you know you shouldn't have done this, but you had a hot, passionate one night, and you got pregnant, and you didn't want to be pregnant, and so you had an abortion, and you have lived with that regret every morning of your life. And I want you to know today that... I believe that that baby is in heaven with all of my heart. But you can't change your past. You said something you shouldn't have said. You did something you shouldn't have done. You can't change it. I'm telling you, the only thing that you can do is say, God, I want to move forward in the best way that I know how. And only God can take you to that point. Folks, never ever forget Every single saint has a past. And every sinner has a future. Every sinner. That means me, you, Billy Graham, Joel Olstein, whoever it is that you want to name, they all have a past. But because of what Christ wants to do, they have a future. And whenever your spiritual enemy wants to give lies to you and and say to you that, Remember what you did in the past. You'll never overcome this. You'll never overcome this. You just tell him you're nothing because you have already been defeated by Christ. And greater is he. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he wants to do good in your life. In fact, he loves you so much that he says, I'll even take the bad stuff to bring good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. That's why Paul says these words, that for some of you, you need to cut them out, 
put them up on your uh, dashboard, put them on the bathroom window, wherever it is that you frequent all the time. You put it there because this is what he said. He said this, and he was a murderer of Christians. And this is what he said. I am focusing all my energies on one thing. He said, this is what I'm concentrating on. This is what I'm focusing on from now on. He says, I forget. I am forgetting the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. Paul is clear that you have to eventually forget your past. You may need some counseling. You may need some accountability. Celebrate recovery might be a great way for you to finally get over your past. But you cannot live today and you certainly can't live tomorrow if you're always living in the past. Many of you have done something in your past that you think is totally unforgivable. God couldn't forgive me for this one thing. And each time that thing comes up, it hurts so bad, and you grieve over it. In fact, you feel embarrassed about it. And in your mind, this is your thinking. This is your idea. I've had a chance, and I blew it. Therefore, I'm going to have to settle for second best. I had a chance. I blew it, but I have to settle for second best. Where's that from? Who said that? Whoever said, you have to settle for second best. God's love letter, the Bible, never says that you have to settle for second best. You know what God's word says from beginning to end? He says, you don't have to settle for second best because I am the God of second chances. This whole book is about second chance after second chance after second chance. And he says, when when you experience that, then you don't carry the guilt because you know all of life is about a second chance. He gives us a chance to start over again. He doesn't keep us in the past. And he says, hey, let's take some steps. Let's just go forward. And constantly he's reminding you, your past is in your past. Forget what lies behind and move toward the future and what lies ahead because this is true your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace and you are not what you have done you are who God says you are and even though you can't change the past God can change your future today there are nine people that are getting baptized. And it was so cool to kind of hear their stories, and they're saying, you know what? I'm just not going to live in the past anymore. I'm going to receive the forgiveness of God. And we'd love to share all of their stories, but we can't do that. So we're, we're simply asked them to tell us, what was your life like before Christ or before you experienced his forgiveness? And why has your life like been After that, after you said, Jesus, I want you in my life, and you were forgiven. So we'd like you to take a look at this video of their story, A Peace Heaven.
Hey, if you would, please stand. And I was thinking, you know, we've talked about it and everything, but this is the thing I find about forgiveness. People can go to dozens and dozens of teachings on forgiving everybody else that God forgives me, but rarely do people take the moment to say, I forgive myself. And today I pray that as we sing this song about being forgiven, that the stain is wiped away, that you will receive it through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will receive the fact that you are forgiven so that you can forgive yourself today. Let's sing together.